Chapter 6 The Latter-day Children of Light Ye are the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us be... Let us watch and be sober. Thessalonians 5, verses 5-6 through 6. Who are the latter-day children of light? We are they who curiously whose curiosity is getting the better of us. We are they who are hungering for more light and knowledge regarding sacred things, especially the precious items that relate to our own future. Strangely enough, every time we learn more and assume that our bucket is really getting full, we are blown away once again as we discover that there are entire new worlds yet to explore. Thus, we become even hungrier as the circle is renewed again. More than anything else, the Latter-day Children of Light demand to know what time it is, and I'm not referring to constantly glancing at our watches. Something inside of us, at the very core of our being, draws us like a tractor beam to the second coming. We likewise desire to finally be once again with the one that we love with a perfect love, the one that we adored and cherished long before we were ever born into this celestial sphere. We are the Seekers. We are the wise virgins, the one who always kept adequate oil in our lamps, and scurry about like little children who are too excited to sleep on Christmas Eve. We are the ones looking toward and preparing for his second coming. The latter-day children of light must know and be comfortably familiar with the details of the fulfilling of the prophecies as they involve the events that will lead up to his many appearances. We are they who are pre-designated not just to comprehend the sequence of happenings and be faithfully watching, but to actually personally participate in those exciting last day events. These events completely eclipse anything and everything that has ever taken place in the history of this planet, perhaps with the only exception of his holy and matchless atoning sacrifice which took place in the Garden of Gethsemane and his death on the cross at Calvary. The Apostle Paul expressed this concept beautifully to the saints in Thessalonica as follows. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, 4 through 6. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light, and the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do the others, but let us watch and be sober. This is further emphasized in Ephesians 5, 8, which says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are now awakening to who and what we really are as the latter-day children of light. The pathway of light is a process, and we are committed disciples of Christ and living in his light that brings us closer to him. Therefore, we should bear in mind that we will learn, line upon line, precept upon precept, ever garnering more light until we are called to fulfill our missions in the end. In our pre-mortal sphere, we had access to amounts of light that we do not yet comprehend here in this second estate. We are here now in part because we honored the light given to us previously. We proved repeatedly that we were trustworthy to the Lord, and we will soon receive our reward for that trustworthiness as we are called to special missions fulfilling that which held us in reservation to come to the earth at this time. In some cases, the latter-day children of light are those who have descended from the level of glory and light to which they attained in the first estate to be further refined and to fight through the challenges of ascension, all for this for very specific purposes. We learn this in John 12, verse 36. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. 
By study and prayer, the Latter-day Children of Light and Time will peer peace together an overarching sense of the priorities as they relate to our participation in the marvelous events that will precede His Second Coming. Elder Sterling W. Sill, in the General Conference Report dated April 1966, helps us understand more clearly the hierarchy of historical priorities that span the celestial and terrestrial lifetime of Idumea. He said, The most often mentioned event in the entire Bible is that wonderful yet awful experience that we will have when Jesus Christ shall come to judge the world. There are many important gospel doctrines mentioned in the Bible, only briefly, and some not at all. The new birth is mentioned in the Bible nine times, baptism mentioned 52 times, and repentance is mentioned 89 times, but the second coming is mentioned over a hundred, no, 1,500 times in the Old Testament and 300 times in the New Testament. If God thought this subject that important, he must have wanted us to do something about it. Amen. I couldn't agree more with him more. In fact, one scripture that stands out to me is 2 Nephi 31.3, which reads, For my soul delighteth in plainness, for after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to their language and to their understanding. The Latter-day Children of Light all have special missions to fulfill during the premillennial days of intense evolution and change. The Lord God in his perfect light is reaching out to us and getting down in the trenches with us so that we can be reached at whatever level we occupy currently. He will continue to communicate with each of us in a particular way that each individual will understand most thoroughly and effectively. He knows that each of us learn differently, so through the light of Christ and the workings of his Spirit, we will receive customized instruction and edification to facilitate each individual reaching his or her potential more quickly and more beautifully than anything that we have previously imagined. It is any wonder that when, or is it any wonder that when we come to comprehend this fully through the Spirit, we will feel to thank, thank, worship, and praise Him forevermore? Let us now turn to the Scripture, specifically to Doctrine and Covenants 45. 36 through 44. And when the light shall begin to break forth, it shall be with them like unto the parable which I sh will show you. Ye look and behold the fig trees, and ye see them with your eyes, and ye say when they begin to shoot forth, and their leaves are yet tender, that summer is now nigh at hand. Even so it shall be in that day, when they shall see all these things, then shall they know that the hour is nigh, and it shall come to pass that when or that he that feareth me shall be looking forth for that great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. And they shall see signs and wonders, for they shall be shown forth in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. And they shall behold blood and fire and vapors of smoke. And before the day of the Lord shall come, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall be turned to blood, and the stars fall from heaven. And the remnant shall be gathered unto this place, and then they shall look for me. And behold, I will come. And when they shall see me in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory, with all the holy angels, and he that watches not for me shall be cut off. The latter-day children of light were never intended to be blindsided, shocked, or taken by surprise in the slightest. We are to accept and embrace the teachings that are comprised within the parable of the fig tree, which is that we are to be familiar with the seasons and the sequence of events, that we might be wise and watchful stewards, always knowing what time it really is. While even the angels in the heaven may not know the hour of the day, we are comfortably familiar with the general timing of his coming as the bridegroom. Have you ever heard of the game of overlapping? 
This is a fun activity in which we take three separate lists and compare, combine, and cross-reference them. The first is a list of all the prophecies that have already been fulfilled. The second is a list of prophecies which are currently being fulfilled. And the third is a compilation of prophetic events that are about to be fulfilled. That which is revealed in the overlapping is quite informative. Let's now read from Moses 7.62 to understand this point. With And righteousness will I send down out of heaven, and truth will I send forth out of the earth, to bear testimony of mine only begotten. His resurrection from the dead, yea, and also the resurrection of all men, and the righteous and truth will I cause to sweep the earth as with a flood, to gather out mine elect from the four quarters of the earth unto the place which I shall prepare, and holy city, that my people may gird up their loins, and be looking forth for the time of my coming, for there shall be my tabernacle, and it shall be called Zion the New Jerusalem. Another indication that the children of light are to be aware of the timing of things comes from the Apostle Paul, who told the Thessalonians that the coming of the Lord would be as travail upon a woman with child, and that whereas the people of the world are large, at large are not watching, Jesus would come as a thief in the night, quite unexpectedly and without warning. Just as an expectant mother knows that her gestational period is approximately nine months, so it is with the children of light. They are indeed aware of the times and seasons connected with his grand coming. Just prior to his betrayal and crucifixion, Jesus enlightened his disciples regarding the impending destruction of Jerusalem. He also taught that his own second coming and the destruction that would come to the wicked in the future. The apostles were so amazed and bewildered to help them try to comprehend the fact that in the future year of 70 AD, there would not be left here upon this temple one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He began to explain how that related to the tribulations of the last days. They begged him for an additional explanation, so he gave them the 24th chapter of St. Matthew. These were ancient day children of light. Joseph Smith Jr. is counted as one of those latter day children of light in that he wanted to know the time of his second coming so intensely that he importuned the Lord about this issue. His prayer and subsequent answer are marked in Doctrine and Covenants 130, 14 through 17. I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of his coming of the Son of Man when I heard a voice repeat the following Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art eighty five years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. Therefore let this suffice, and trouble me no more on this matter. I was left thus, without being able to decide whether this coming referenced to the beginning of the millennium, or to some previous appearing, or whether I should die and thus see his face. I believe the coming of the Son of Man will not be any sooner than that time. Indeed, each and every latter-day child of light was foreordained and birthed into a specific place in time to live out his and her primordial dream, of valiantly fighting in the last days for the cause of Christ and helping others pass courageously through the vortex of that darkest period of tribulation that the world will ever know. Each children knew full well in advance that he or she would make it through one of the most violent storms ever, walking hand in hand with the Savior himself, moving confidently forward into the darkness with the assurance that the very angels of heaven have been assigned to surround us with mighty swords drawn, so that the light of the torch we bear will never be blown out. And metaphorically, what is the torch raised to the sky by hands that hold it high? Is it not the fulfillment of the specific latter-day missions that we are foreordained to accomplish? Were we not meant to fly high like eagles and to shine forth for Christ, for whom we are willing to sacrifice anything and everything? To gain a more thorough understanding of the latter-day children of light, we must uncover the actual scriptural definition of light. 
Section 93, verse 1 of Doctrine and Covenants, begins with the Savior's assurance that every soul who forsaketh his sins, cometh unto me, and calleth my name, and obeyeth my voice, and keepeth commandments, shall see my face, and know that I am. What follows in verses 2, 3, and 36 is the beginning of our record regarding the light. And that I am the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, and that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Here the Lord equates light and truth with intelligence and the glory of God. Then in Doctrine and Covenants 84:45, with a similar verse we read, For the word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. These verses of Holy Writ teach us that if intelligence equals light and truth, and light and truth equals spirit, then intelligence must equal spirit. Therefore, we arrive at the conclusion that these words or terms are entirely interchangeable. We can, in fact, substitute the terms in our studies of the scriptures. For example, let's read Doctrine and Covenants 130, 18-19, substituting these terms for what is written. Whatever principle of intelligence, whatever principle of glory, truth, light, or spirit, we may attain unto in this life, it will arise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence, or glory, or truth, or light, or spirit in this life, through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. According to the prophet Mormon, the spirit, or light of Christ, is given to every man that he may know good from evil. The Book of Mormon prophet Abinadi sealed his testimony when he was burned at the stake, alive while testifying of Christ. We will now read some of Abinadi's final words in Mosiah 16, 8-9. The sting of death is swallowed up in Christ. He is the light and life of the world, yea, a light that is endless, that can never be darkened, yea, and also a life which is endless, that there can be no more death. This light that is completely inextinguishable exists within each of us. It is called the light of Christ, and it is given to each man as he comes into the world. Footnote, Doctrine and Covenants 8846. Also, I missed a footnote just prior, which was Moroni 7.16. Metaphorically speaking, the children, the latter-day children of light, are the silver, and the Lord is the refiner of that silver, making it ever more precious. This parable, which teaches powerful lessons, is not complete without the fuller soap. This soap consists of salts mixed with oils and was of two kinds, made with a carbonate of soda or with borax, which served to literally make the subject become white and pure. The specific words to this parable are found in Malachi 3, 2 through 3. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he that sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. The Lord God is not standing. He is sitting down. Sitting down indicates he is being patiently attentive to his work, which is to bring us, in time, through a systematic process, into our own full potential, as we are reminded of this again in Doctrine and Covenants 128-24. Behold, the great day of the Lord is at hand, and who can abide the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appeareth? For his is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Let us, therefore, as a church and people and latter-day saints, offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Let us now make the visualization of this parable even more complete, for during the refining process the dross is periodically swept away and disposed of entirely, meaning 
of course, that through his infinite atonement our sins are swept away and forgotten as if they had never occurred. He and his angels are carefully never careful to never ever allow the heat of the furnace to become so fervent that it actually permanently damages the precious silver. Putting a halt to this divinely designed process at the perfect moment is absolutely vital. Why? Because for each individual Latter-day Children of Light, the process becomes to a fitting and glorious end at the very moment in which the Lord the Refiner, looking down in his loving way, sees that we have been polished and refined right up to the point in which he can see his own reflection perfectly in each of every one of us. Thankfully, this divine scenario greatly enlarges our joy in understanding the doctrine that we are to become purified in Christ. To one day become as he is now is the only pathway to divinity that the children of light so tires, tirelessly seek. And again, once this godly process of sanctification and perfection is completely finished and done, the Lord will be brought to proclaim, as it states in 1 Nephi 20, verse 10, For behold, I have refined thee, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. As well, Psalm 66.10 tells us, For thee, O God, has proved us, and has tried us as silver is tried. I will now list for you some scriptures which reveal the nature of Christ and how he wants us to come unto him. Doctrine and Covenants 88, 5-13 Which glory is that of the church of the firstborn, even of God, the holiest of all, through Jesus Christ his Son, he that ascended up on high, as also he descended below all things, in that he comprehendeth all things, that he might be in all and through all things the light of truth, which truth shineth, this is the light of Christ, as also he is in the sun, the light of the sun, and the power thereof by which it was made, as also he is in the moon, and the light of the moon, and the power thereof by which it was made, as also the light of the stars, and the power by which they were made, and the earth also, and the power thereof, even the earth upon which you stand, and the light which shineth, with which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same light that quickeneth your understandings which light proceedeth forth from the presence of God to fill the immensity of space. The light which is in all things, which giveth life to all things, which is the law by which all things are governed, even the power of God who sitteth upon the throne, who is in the bosom of eternity, who is in the midst of all things. Doctrine and Covenants 50, verse 24. That which is of God is light, and he receiveth light, and continueth in God, receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Moroni 10, verses 32-33 Yea, come unto Christ, and be perfected in him, and deny yourself of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourself of all ungodliness, and love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfected in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, you can in no wise deny the power of God. And again, if... Ye, by the grace of God, are perfect in Christ, and deny not his power. Then are ye sanctified in Christ by the grace of God, through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the covenant of the Father, unto the remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. This is the final farewell of the great prophet Moroni, as he bids us adieu. This is the last and final sermon of the Book of Mormon. In the process of saying goodbye, Moroni teaches the children of light that they are not to become perfected for him, nor by him, nor through him, but in him. Through this process of sanctification, which is wholly about becoming perfect in Christ, each individual that remains true to his pre-mortal foreordinations is a Latter-day 
children of child of light that grows and expands in the same light of Christ until the perfect day. This is the very master plan to which we subscribed even from the beginning, which will provide us with more and more light until the perfect day. Both Matthew 5.28 and 2 Nephi 12.48 teach us that we should be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Latter-day children of light hit the ground running when they are born into this, the second estate, already having gained an amazing amount of momentum based on their diligence and great faithfulness in their previous life. Early on in their life process, they reawaken to the fact that the teachings of Jesus to be perfect, even as he and our Father in heaven is perfect, is not a universal suggestion. It is a direct commandment that applies deep to the very core of we who are basking in the light of Christ and taking advantage of every opportunity granted unto us through our mortal sojourn to take upon ourselves greater and greater light by increasing in our truth, glory, and spirit, all of which are synonymous and interchangeable with the word light. We, the latter-day children of light, are now awakening, doing, and becoming everything that we were foreordained in the pre-mortal world to do and become at this stage in that glorious plan. We are doing everything needful and are growing into our fullest potential, the becoming. For with all of, for with all of our hearts, we are determined to do our very best to make Christ's second coming a wonderful, fulfilling, joyous, and exciting occasion. Even in the here and now, we are finding meaningful ways in the journey itself. This is who we are. We are indeed the children of light.